scares me to death is Mike Pett's defense. That defense is just looking phenomenal. On this episode of Against the Grain Football Podcast, we talk to an Eagles legend and a personal hero who says the game is getting soft. What are we going to do about it? You'll find out Against the Grain. We are cutting against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Now your host for Against the Grain. Against the grain. Here's Andrew Perloff. Welcome to the Against the Grain podcast. I am stoked today. As everyone who listens knows, I grew up idolizing the Buddy Ryan Eagles. We're going to talk to one of the best, Seth Joyner, former outside linebacker for those great Eagles teams. Now, Seth and I have a little beef. He ripped my friend Case Keenum on Twitter after the Monday night debacle against the Bears, which in my opinion was not really Case's fault. The Bears' pass rush was unstoppable. But, Mario, the producer, guess which game I'm going to see this weekend? Uh, Redskins. Giants, correct. Yes. So this is an important game for two reasons. One, uh, the news is out now. Case Keenum is dealing with a serious foot injury. So he is back practice as of today. It's Thursday. Hopefully he'll be good to go Sunday. But I think the big national story is Daniel Jones and the Giants. Now, it's sort of an against-the-grain, contrarian analytics. I'm not that I'm an analytics expert, but I tend to appreciate analytics. The Giants are a very interesting team to me right now because they will have no Saquon Barkley, yet they have a new quarterback in Daniel Jones. So if this offense kicks butt like it did last week against Tampa Bay— that will add fuel to the fire that running backs are somewhat replaceable. But Saquon Barkley is one of the top two or three running backs in the game. You know, they put up a lot of points against the Bucks without him. If they do that against the Redskins, whose defense has really been struggling, then, oh, man, people are going to say, like, I am not drafting a running back high. You look around the league, even Ezekiel Elliott, who just got paid, doesn't feel like it's his team anymore. It feels like it's Dak Prescott's team with new offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. Wide receivers are playing better. You look at Christian McCaffrey... You know, it's interesting. Kyle Allen came in for Cam Newton, had a great game last week. It really, McCaffrey was amazing. He was great, and he's a great running back. But you got to incorporate the wide receivers, and that's what Cam has had trouble doing. When you saw them get balls uh, and yards after the catch, they were effective. So it's not about running backs. That will be proven out. Before we get to Seth Joyner, I want to talk about this week's lines. There's a couple interesting ones, to me at least. Kansas City minus 6.5 at Detroit. Now, everyone is riding Kansas City like crazy because Patrick Mahomes is the most exciting player in the game. Everyone had him in the Super Bowl if you didn't have the Patriots. Now, what about those Detroit Lions, those pesky Detroit Lions? Matt Patricia has brought in a lot of defensive players. He's taught them that Patriot way. They had their moments in Philadelphia. They probably should have lost the game, but they're 2-0-1. This, to me, is a very interesting game. Minus 6.5, it feels like the Chiefs turn on the scoring like a spigot. I still kind of like the Lions in that one. I'm not not like, not love, Mario. I kind of like the Lions because no one's talking about them. Another interesting line, New England minus 7 at Buffalo. Now, you would think, ah, oh, 7, I Buffalo, like they stick. Gimme. Yeah. But Sean McDermott seems to have just an inkling of how to slow down Tom Brady Last week, the backdoor cover for the Jets was classic. Jared Stidham came in for Tom Brady, the backup quarterback, threw a pick six, and they pulled Jared Stidham in the game because he threw that pick six and it was a two-score game, and a lot of betters were disappointed, depending on what you had that line at. And lastly, a line that I find very, very interesting, 
The Rams minus nine and a half, Tampa Bay. It's at the Rams. Are the Rams a great team? I asked you that, Mario. Are they like, they seem to me that they have elements of being a really great team. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess they go, their defense is good, right? You got, you got Donald up there. I mean, I, get, I think it all hinges on golf and how he plays. But last year, is, if I asked you this question, you would say it's the high flying Rams. Yeah. But I feel after that Super Bowl, you can't really have that same opinion of them. They put up, what, three points? I know, but it was one game. The Patriots only put up 13 points, and you know their offense is fire, so I don't know if why, that counts. Why don't they seem like the same uh, offense as they were at the beginning of last season? I guess you might say Todd Gurley's not healthy, or people figured out Sean McVay, or Goff is not playing up to snuff. I think Goff's been okay. I love that receiving core, man. I, I think they are unbelievable. Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks. Cooper Cup is awesome. But like everyone, I was not on the Cooper Cup bandwagon as much as everybody else was. Now I am. He's unbelievable. Robert Woods runs like the best routes in the league. And Brandon Cooks is sensational. So still, Tampa Bay visiting the Rams. It should be like a blowout line. I, I find that very interesting. I'm just not sure what Rams team. Real quick, I picked the primetime games on my SI football show. Dallas at New Orleans, I'm going with the underdog here, and I i don't feel, again, this is what I don't feel 100% about, but don't you feel like the Cowboys might have been reading their own headlines and maybe coming to New Orleans a little bit lackadaisical? I've seen the spread at three, two and a half. I feel like this could be a very close game, even though Teddy Bridgewater didn't throw downfield at all in the Saints win last week. It was raining. Maybe yeah. that had something to do with that. Yeah. Well, we'll see. But the Cowboys, obviously, are everyone's hot team. I just feel like there's going to be a little bit of a correction for the Cowboys. They are way more talented than this version of the Saints without Breeze. Should be an interesting game. Then Steelers hosting the Bengals. It doesn't matter if the Steelers host the Bengals or at the Bengals. They own them at both places. Now, the Bengals are interesting because they've been close in two of their games and blown out by the Niners in Week 2. Which Bengals will show up? You figure Mason Rudolph against Andy Dalton, you give the edge to Dalton, but there's something about this rivalry. Monday night, I'm going with the Steelers. Interesting. The, one more theme of the NFL season that is really driving me crazy, the flags. Everyone's talking about offensive holding. Uh, we'll see. I think that they got to slow down on everything. Every punt, there is a flag. I've been complaining about it for two years now. Just stop. You're slowing up the game. You can see that the officials are coming out in the second half of games with a different attitude. That happened on Monday night. They were calling everything in the Redskins-Bears. Then they just calmed down in the second half. It's happening too much. I, I really would like to see this week a lot cleaner. You don't have to call the ticky-tack holds. Let's face it. They're not having as big an impact on the play as a penalty. I'm sick of first and 20. It seems like they're getting better at that. Just let the punt play go. It doesn't matter. I don't need to see the flag. And one more thing. The instant replay review on pass interference, that's not working. I don't know what what the deal is with that. I kind of thought it would work in principle. In practice, it's feel really janky. Nobody knows when to call it. So anyway, it'll be interesting. But our next guest, he hates the new NFL rules. And, you know, I love him and I love what he represents. So he convinced me pretty much the NFL needs to toughen up. You know him. He does pre and post for the Philadelphia Eagles. Great player. Pro Bowler, borderline Hall of Famer. I think if they had won a Super Bowl, he would have been in. My man, Seth Joyner. Let's go. All right. Our next guest here was uh, criticizing my friend Case Keenum the other night. Seth Joyner, which in my mind is so unfair because if any defensive player has tortured a quarterback on Monday Night Football, it is you against Warren Moon 
1991. So sometimes the defense is just so good that the quarterback has no chance. And that's what happened on Monday. And yet on Twitter, you go after Case Keenum. What's up with that, Seth? Well, hey, listen, my job is to analyze. And, you know, a lot of what I do on Twitter in game is just analyzing what I'm watching, what I'm seeing. And, you know, some of his earlier interceptions, I mean, Case has been around a long time. He knows better than some of the things that he that he, he was doing um, on Monday Night Football. I mean, he you got a safety in the middle of the field, ha-ha, Clinton Dix, and he's just reading the quarterback, you know, and Case is standing down his his receivers and he's trying to throw the ball, you know, in between the numbers. A single high safety is going to pick that play off all day long if you don't look him off, you know. And finally in the second half, you know, <clears throat> when they did score a touchdown, that they ran – he held, he held Ha Ha Clinton Dix in the middle of the field with his eyes, and then he went back to where he wanted to go with the ball. You know, so you know my criticism is founded. Mm. You know, as a player, hey, that was my job to make quarterbacks' lives miserable. Um, but my job as an analyst, and you know, the way that I watch the game is extremely analytical. And I'm like, my goodness, I wish I could have been a linebacker and had quarterbacks stand down wide receivers. Maybe I would have had ten, fifteen more interceptions. But you know. <laughs> he's just in a tough. He's in a tough situation. I get it. You know. Would you put Haskins in there? Well, I think the reason why you're not seeing Haskins is that you know, obviously he's not ready. You know, they don't want to ruin him um, because they don't have the pieces there. I mean, they can't even block well enough for Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson came out running the ball like a man possessed the other night, and they just did not. The offensive line can't create holes. You know, they can't create the type of plays that allow him to, you know, to be the back that he can still be. Um, and then you, you put Case Keenum in a situation where he's got to just put the ball in the air because, you know, once you start getting behind, you put yourself in a situation where you've got to throw the ball. And that's not, in my opinion, beneficial to him. You know, most quarterbacks, in my opinion, in the NFL need a running game. I get it. It's a passing league. The league is changing. The game is changing. But... That's for the Patrick Mahomes, the Drew Brees, the Tom Brady's, you know, the Philip Rivers, those 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 quarterbacks of the world. The guys who are developing and, and guys that are tier two, tier three quarterbacks, those guys need a running game. And, you know, they need play action passing in order for them, you know, to see the field and have time to throw the ball. If you're going to ask them to throw it 40, 45 times a game, they're going to turn it over and you're going to lose. So with that being said, are you surprised how well Daniel Jones did in his first game with the Giants? Well, the difference with him is his his, his mobility. You know, I, I honestly believe that the pocket quarterback, you know, is, you know, on the verge of extinction uh, because blitzes are so exotic now that, you know, coordinators can confuse um, protections, you know, pass rushers that can't be blocked like Khalil Mack and, Aaron Donald, they require the quarterbacks, you know, either, you know, operate with efficiency if they're going to be in the pocket. And most of the pocket quarterbacks, you know, that you see today, they are guys, you know, veterans that have been around for a while. When they ask for the ball, when they put their hand on the center, they already know where they're going with it. It's one, two, three, the ball is out. But these young guys and this new breed of, of quarterbacks, they've got to be able to manipulate the pocket. And they've got to be able to use their legs. So when you see Daniel Jones running all over the place, what is he, he rushed for two touchdowns. Yeah. You know, he's going to have success because the guy can flat out run. So, and he understands the game well enough that, hey, when the play breaks down, if they're in zone coverage and scrambling, you know, waiting for a guy to uncover. If they're in man coverage, you know, I know that I've got a single high or two high safety and two man, 
that's, you know, 20, 30 yards down the field. Everybody else's back is to me. So if I take off, I'm going to get 15, 20 yards before the defense can even react to me. You know, so this is the new breed of quarterback. The guys that can throw it, that can make, you know, good decisions, but they have the ability to manipulate the pocket, one, and two, understand coverage and either scramble to, to pass the ball or scramble, you know, for maximum yardage and then get down. But what about the criticism that the mobile quarterbacks, including the quarterback in Philadelphia, get hurt if they move around too much? I mean, you play with Randall Cunningham. He got a couple injuries. You know, Lamar Jackson's running all over the place. But it, it's a, mobile quarterbacks are in, but can they last? I think they can. They just have to be smart. I mean, you look at what Russell Wilson has been able to do. Yeah. I mean, he's a mobile quarterback, you know, and he's, he's survived. You know, and he's just smart about getting what he can get and getting down. I think Carson's problem sometimes is, you know, you watch him the other night and he scrambles and he's trying to dive into the end zone. That play looked exactly yeah. like the play that he tore his ACL and his MCL last year, you know, against the Rams. It looks like the same exact play. Yeah. It's like, dude, why haven't you learned? You got the first down. Get down on the ground, slide, live to play another day and let your, your supporting cast do the job of getting the ball in the end zone. So they can last. It's just they've got to learn how to get down and, and realize, you know, Carson, you know, kind of takes his job personally. You know, mm -hmm. if the team doesn't succeed, you know, the pressure's on him, I believe, you know, to get it done and try to make it up and make it happen on his own. The smart quarterbacks realize that, hey, I've got to support cast around me. My job is to be a distributor. I'm a I'm a point guard. I'm going to get the ball to my playmakers and let them do what they do. When I have to run, I'm going to get what I can get, and I'm going to get down, and we're going to live to play another down. If I make a first down, good. If I don't, then i got to rely on my defense and my special teams to hold up their one, two-thirds of the bargain here. All right, we're recording on Thursday afternoon. The Eagles play the Packers tonight. What has been the biggest problem so far? Why are they one and two it? Defense, uh, offense, can you pinpoint one thing? Well, I think it's, I don't think it's one thing. I believe that, you know, I, I think teams are making, making mistakes, not playing guys in the preseason. Yeah. I think it's a little too much to ask, especially, you know, when you haven't had continuity from one year to another, um, to ask guys to go through OTAs, go through training camps, sit the entire preseason and then march into week one and think that your offense and your defense is going to have any kind of continuity. That's just my opinion. I understand why they're doing it. I just think that it doesn't, you know, serve the, the best purpose of your team being prepared for the regular season. As far as the Eagles are concerned, um, I think in the second half of the Redskins game, the first game, you saw the potential that this offense has. Then you turn around and, you know, um, you lose um, your, your two top wide receivers. Um, one of your tight ends goes, you know, goes down and your 12 personnel, you know, one, one back, two tight ends. It's what you live in most of the time and what you game plan and work the entire off season to perfect. And now, you know, you've got these young guys out there that are playing and they're out of rhythm. You know, I think Doug needs to run the ball more. Mm -hmm. He needs to run um, Jordan Howard in particularly more, you know, to set up the pass game through the running game. Um, and then, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, you got major injuries. You know, we go and we sign Malik Jackson, who's supposed to be a major get for us. Mm -hmm. um, he gets hurt. Then Tim, Tim, Tim Jernigan doesn't even make it through two series starting the next game. He gets hurt. He's out. So, you know, all the 
pressure's falling on the Fletcher Cox, who's coming off of, you know, foot surgery and is not 100%. Our defensive ends aren't winning. Our cornerbacks, you know, are struggling because the pass rush and the coverage kind of go hand in hand. You know, if you're not getting pressure, then you're gonna you're putting pressure on your coverage. If you're not covering well, then you're putting pressure, you know, on the defensive backs from the standpoint that if they're not covering, they're not giving the defensive line time to get there. So now Jim Schwartz has got to blitz more, something that he doesn't like to do. They're not equipped to be real good, a real good blitz team because they don't do it a lot. So they're and because they don't do it a lot, they don't disguise mm. it well. So when you're playing against good, smart quarterbacks, veteran quarterbacks like a Matt Ryan. And you're playing against a guy like, um, you know, Matthew Stafford. They're going to hurt you if you show them pre-snap that you're in a blitz. They're going to make, they're going to make the protection call, and they're going to make the check in the in the route that's going to allow them to make something happen. And you know, we're playing blitz coverage from five to seven yards off. You know, you're inviting, you know, a disaster when you do that. You know, a lot of people nationally pick the Eagles either go to the Super Bowl, or win the Super Bowl. The hosts of show I work on the Dan Patrick Show pick the Eagles. I picked the Eagles. Were people in the building aware of the national expectations? Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, there was high expectations, you know, in Philadelphia. There was high expectations in the building. You know, when you look at, you know, the talent level that they possess, um, you know, like I said, if all things being equal, when Deshaun Jackson's 100%, when Alshon Jeffries is 100%, when Dallas Goddard is 100%, mm. um, you know, when the team is at at 100%. They are a formidable, you know, foe for anybody in the league, and they are a Super Bowl threat. But you take, you know, those major players out of the equation and you, you know, add to that a struggling secondary and a defensive line that's struggling to get pressure now, um, that, that kind of, you know, sets you back. So they're at a crucial, cr- critical juncture right now. they got to get some guys healthy. And then on top of getting guys healthy, they've got to get into a rhythm offensively and they got to find their footing on the defensive side of the ball if they're going to rescue this thing. You know, one and three, if they can't come out of mm. out of Lambeau Field with this victory tonight, it's going to be a tough hole to dig out at one and three. Have you seen everybody jumping on the Cowboys now? I feel like people think they're the favorite in the NFC East. Is that fair? Well, I think right now they're the favorite in the NFC yeah. East. I mean, granted, they, they really they really haven't played any juggernauts on on the on the um, defensive side of the ball. True. I mean, you start off with the Giants, the Redskins, and the Miami Dolphins. You know, I, I'm going to be watching uh, very curiously to see how they fare against uh, the New Orleans Saints. I mean, they embarrassed them last year, so you know the Saints have got this week have got a, a bone to pick with them. But I want to see that offense operate the way that they've been operating, and Dak being Dak. Um, you know, against some of the better defenses in the league before I crown them. But listen, I, I've I've said the last two years that you know the Cowboys are going to be a problem. You know, they continue to get better. That defensively, you know, the changes that they've made, they're much more aggressive. They play a, a old a old school style of defense. You know, where they're extremely physical. They challenge you in every phase of the game. And if Zeke can be, you know, what he needs to be with all the weapons that they've improved with on the offensive side of the ball, life is going to be easy for that. You know, so it's, it's going to take a formidable defense and a formidable offense to be able to handle them. And, you know, right now in the NFC East, who is that? You know, yeah. the Giants aren't going anywhere. You know, even though they're looking better offensively, defensively, I think still think they got some major issues. The Redskins are, you know, are fire dump. You know, and the Eagles are just so beat up right now and out of sync 
um, they got to get it together before their first their first matchup. Okay, Seth. So I mentioned I grew up in Lower Marion. I was a season ticket holder during uh, sort of your days in Philadelphia and your team. And I'm sure you hear this all the time. This is my favorite Eagles team of all time because uh, I just love the aggressiveness. You know, as a young man watching the aggressiveness of the Philadelphia defense, like kind of that, that spoke to to me and everybody in Philadelphia. How do you feel historically? You guys are viewed. You think you're appropriately viewed as a great defense? I think you could argue the best defense of all time. Are you happy when you hear people talk about the Buddy Ryan defenses of where people put you? Well, I, I would say you know I, I don't think we, we were. I don't think we we're second to none. You know, when you look back historically at what we were able to do and the way that we played the game. The thing that separates us, you know, from the great defenses, you know, in the modern era, I would say, like the the Ravens, um, you know, the Bears, um, you know, even though the giant defense, you know, that won two Super Bowls aren't really viewed as elite, you know, you got to look at what they were able to do to Tom Brady yeah. um, when they needed to. That was a major reason why they were able to win those Super Bowls. But the difference is, is are the Super Bowls? You know, those right. teams were able to close the deal. Our team, as good as we were, you know, we didn't have enough offensively to ever close the deal. Now, have we won a Super Bowl? And I quite frankly believe that you know a lot of a lot of people would probably view our defense, you know, as the you know one or or, or two um, best defenses, you know, in the history of the game. You know, from a, from a statistical standpoint. Um, and I think that, you know, you'd probably see a hell of a lot more of the players from that team um, getting, you know, Hall of Fame recognition. Absolutely. Because I think there's a lot of guys that, that are overlooked because we didn't win the Super Bowl. I think you're you're a case of that. I mean, do you think Clyde Simmons would have gotten a, more look from the Hall of Fame if they won a Super Bowl? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Clyde. Um, Who else? You know, Jerome's, Jerome's, yep. Jerome's career, career was cut short, you yeah. know, you know, because of because of his depth. But I mean, if he doesn't pass and he continues to play the way he's playing, I mean, he's a first ballot Hall of Fame, no doubt. You know, you look at Eric Allen, his numbers. I'm just perplexed. You know, every single time I see another cornerback going to the Hall of Fame, I'm perplexed that you know he continues to be overlooked when you look at his numbers in comparison. You know, to a Ty Law, to you know, an Aeneas Williams, and and, and I have the greatest of respect for Aeneas Williams. I played three years with the guy. You know, but when you look at an Eric Allen, come on, there's no reason in in anybody's mind why that guy shouldn't already be in the Hall of Fame. And I think historically underrated too, the safeties. Uh, you know, both unfortunately, what happened was tragic. But Andre Waters and Wes Hopkins, it felt to me like they, beyond their numbers, their impact on the game couldn't really be measured. Oh, absolutely, because you know. That was a time where the middle of the field, you know, it, it was controlled by intimidation. And yeah. no one can, no one intimidated, you know, the middle of the field the way that those two guys did. If you came in that area, if you came in that area, they were going to lay the lumber on you. Now, Andre, you know, because of, you know, the perception that he was such a dirty player, you know, he was never going to get the recognition that mm. he deserved. I mean, he never made a Pro Bowl. I mean, that's like insane to me, you know, when you look at the body of work from year to year that he put in. But when you have those incidences, you know, that people look down upon, you know, and they deemed him and label him a dirty player, he just was never going to get the recognition that he probably deserved as a football player on the field. 
Um, West Hopkins, you know, the same way. I think, you know, what hampered West, you know, was coverage because after his, you know, after he had the knee surgery, you know, his, his mobility, his flexibility, his range wasn't what it was. But, man, if you go back and you look at West Hopkins before, you know, he had the knee injury, man, my goodness, he's right there with, with, with Ronnie Lott, you know, as a, as a free safety. I mean, could bring the lumber, could cover, you know, very smart intercepting balls and things of that nature. I mean, he was on the track you know, to be no doubt a Hall of Fame player before the injury, you know, stole some of his abilities. Um, he would he would take over games in ways that I, people historically don't remember. Young kids, they have no idea about West Hopkins. So who was the leader with all, and, you know, obviously Reggie White we haven't talked about either. Was there one guy or was it a group of leaders? Well, I think everybody led in their own type of way. I mean, we, we you know, our defense was full of alphas. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. You didn't have many guys that were followers. I mean, you had a bunch of leaders on that defensive side of the ball. Um, Jerome Brown was he? People talk about him. I would, I would, I would say Jerome because Jerome had a charisma about him. He had a way of, you know, Reggie was a big kid. You know, I mean, he's he. We used to call him the toy sometimes because (laughs) you know all he wanted to do was crack jokes. I mean, he was he's the most dominant defensive lineman that I've ever seen you know, in the history of the game, in my opinion. But, you know, from a leadership standpoint, you know, he led from, by example, you know, Jerome was the only guy on the team that had a major voice, but also led by example. So you can have two different types of leaders, you know, and sometimes, you know, I would say something, you know, sometimes, you know, I would do something. Um, But when it came to that guy who embodied, you know, total leadership from, a vocal and a performance standpoint, clearly Jerome Brown, hands down. What did you guys do back then that you couldn't get away with in today's NFL? Oh, everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> everything. I mean, you know, we, we played the game. We played the game the way the game was meant to be played during that era. You know, we weren't trying to, you know, be friendly. We weren't trying to, you know, just play football for the sake of playing football. You know, you had the ball. We were trying to hurt you. You know, we were trying to see what your backup could do. You know, we were trying to demoralize you in every way, um, realizing that, you know, somewhere down the line we may see you in the the playoffs, you know, if we were fortunate enough to get there. And that we wanted you to know that this is what was awaiting you in those situations. And and I've I've had, you know, conversations with guys. Um, I can remember I was at an event just recently. I was, you know, having a conversation with Lawrence Taylor um, and some of the old giant guys. You know, and they, and that year that we we lost in the Fog Bowl, you know, that's the, they won the Super Bowl that year. They said, you know, we weren't really worried about Chicago or San Francisco. He said we were worried about you mm-hmm. guys. We were hoping that somebody beat you along the way because we had already <laughs> beaten them twice in the regular season, and we really had their number. They were like, we weren't worried about your offense, but we were worried about what your offense could do to our, what your defense could do to our offense. Right. They said, and the minute that you guys lost that Fog Bowl game to Chicago, we knew right then and there we were winning the Super Bowl. Oh, man. I felt like one of the years that Randall got hurt was a a Super Bowl team, too. I don't remember. Yeah, that was um, the 91-92 season. Yeah. um, When we led led the defense, you know, and down there every statistical category. The first game of the year, we go to Green Bay, and Bryce Pop, you know, hits Randall on the knee. And he tears his knee up, you know, and we just go on a defensive tear. And we went through like four or five quarterbacks throughout the year. And um, we managed to win 10 games yeah. and didn't even make 
didn't even get a wild card spot. That's how competitive the um, the, the NFC was that during that era. Oh, I know. And the quarterback, I mean, you went so deep on the quarterback chart. So and when you're sitting at home and you you see like uh, the, some of the hits, like that Bears-Broncos game where they're flagging the pass rusher if he gets there a millisecond late, what's your reaction when you see that? Well, hey, hey, listen, I, I think that I think the NFL overreacts, you know, to every adjustment that they make. You know, I get it. When you get when you get sued for seven hundred sixty million dollars and the judge ups it to over one point three million, you know, for concussion stuff, I get it. You know, you gotta you gotta make some adjustments to your corporation and how you do business. Um, I get that. Um, but the tenets of football, um, you've taken away what makes the game great. You know, you've allowed offenses, you know, to really be dominant in what they do because quarterbacks don't have to worry about guys falling around their legs because it's a 15-yard penalty. They know an automatic first down, so they can step into their throws yeah. without without feeling like, you know, um, you know, they're going to get hurt. Um, at the same, by the same spectrum, I mean, you can look at the imbalance of the game just by penalties, you know, a holding call on the defense is a five-yard automatic first down. A pass interference is a spot foul, automatic first down. All of these, all of these penalties are automatic first downs, which work to the benefit of the offense. Um, the defense is really handcuffed. You know, you talk about hitting a defenseless receiver. I'll ask the question: Who is it that made him defenseless? You know, the quarterback yep. who didn't throw the ball on time made him defenseless. I'm just doing my job trying to dislodge the ball. So what am I supposed to do? Just run over and lay on him and give him the give him the play? You know, if he doesn't see me, that's what the NFL based its big hits on back in the day when they were selling their videos online. You know, for and making a lot of money. Oh, the big hit! You don't see the big hit in football hardly ever anymore because if a guy sees you coming, he's going to maneuver so you can't get the big hit. You're going to miss. You know, so where does the big hit come from? The big hits come from when the guy with the ball really can't see you coming. But when you do that now, that's a defenseless. You always hit the defenseless receiver. You're going to get fined. You know, it's a 15-yard penalty and a first down, and you advance the offense's drive. You know, so you've taken away all the things, you know, that help make defenses, you know, help help defenses be effective because, let's face it, offenses know where they're going. They know what the snap count is. Yep. They know what the play is. As a defensive <laughs> player, I'm trying to disseminate information on the fly playing against guys that are faster than I am, and they know where they're going. What's the greatest tool that I have is intimidation. But right. you've taken the intimidation out of the game for defensive players, and you've given a great advantage to the offensive side of the ball, and yet you're still asking defensive players to play the game, you know, in a barrel, so to speak. You know, so I, I just, you know, I, I love the game. I always love the game. I think it's the greatest game in the world, but I think they've overreacted and they've overreached as far as, you know, the rules of the game um, and, and how and how they how they they call the games now um, because it's extremely difficult for defensive players, you know, to be what they were. I would love to see. I, I keep thinking back to the story, and I I think we could talk about it now when Buddy Ryan went after the Cowboys kicker, Jesse Small hit him. What he would have done in this era, uh, just how with social media and everything and. Not like not not that you guys did dirty hits, but I think it would have been really kind of interesting to see that friction. Would he have been able to adjust? 
No. No, right? No, because, I mean, listen, I mean, he started coaching in the 50s, 60s, you yeah. know, when football was football, you know. So his whole thing was, you know, you 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 destroy people. Yeah. You know, that's what we're doing out here. We're trying to we're trying to steal their souls. We're trying to snatch their souls and make them submit. You know, game of football from a defensive perspective isn't played that way anymore. And what what what, what would wind up happening is, you know, he'd be out of the league or you know being fined like crazy. The us as players would be fined like crazy. You know, we'd be you know basically playing for free. And you know, I mean, listen. I, I get it. You know, Greg Williams paid a premium, you know, for, for the bounty bowl. But if you think that bounties didn't happen all the time, you're crazy. Louis Tejas <laughs> got traded to the Cowboys. We got Roger Ruzik off of their roster. We swapped kickers. <laughs> then Louis Tejas goes down to Dallas and he's in the media telling family secrets. You know, he had to know what was coming. He had to know what was coming. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, you know, he brought that upon himself. But that's the nature of the game. That's the way the game used to be played. There was a code. There was a solid code, a code of conduct among players, you know, that you followed. And when you didn't follow, there was a price to pay, and he paid the price. Oh, man, I love it. I tell people, <laughs> by the way, to follow you on Twitter, at Seth Joyner. You're like, you know, you try and keep it honest, it feels like, on, on Twitter. You're not, you're not quite right. as diplomatic. Well, I, I don't, you know, everything I do is non-diplomatic. You know, because the truth is the truth. If yeah. I'm saying something that's untrue, that's one thing. You know, if I'm speaking the truth and people can't handle the truth, like Jack Nichols said, yeah. you know, that's on them. They, they they can deal with that. My job as an analyst, you know, I mean, NBC Sports Philly hired me to be an analyst. I've done some stuff with Fox Sports 1. I, you know, I've done some stuff with, you know, um, Wingo and, 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 and Goalie. Um, my job as an analyst is to express how I see the game through my eyes, you know? So my opinions are my opinions, and my opinions aren't going to ever change. They're not going to be reshaped. They are what they are. You know, when, when you're talking about the game, you're talking about the game from an opinion standpoint. And when I'm analyzing the game, I'm using my 13 years of experience, my 13 years of playing for some of the greatest minds to ever coach, Buddy Ryan, Wade Phillips, uh, Bud Carson, Jeff Fisher, Fritz Shermer, I'm using that experience to analyze the game and how I see it, you know, and some people think it's, you know, a little too truthful and some people, you know, obviously in Philly, they love it because, you know, that's what the Philly market is really all about. Um, Absolutely. They, they, they just want to hear people, you know, say, say it like it is. You don't have to sugarcoat everything. I mean, you don't have to kill guys because I do understand, you know, as a, as a former player that every player is somebody's son is somebody's, husband, somebody's dad, somebody's uncle, somebody's parent. I get that. You know, you don't have to go way overboard, you know, where you're insulting them and making their family members feel bad. But the truth is the truth. You know, what I see is what I see, and I call it like I see it, and it is what it is. You know, when, when players play well, it's like the Eagles. When the Eagles play well, hey, kudos. I pat them on the back. There's no one wants, that wants to see the Eagles be more successful, you know, than me, a former player in their Hall of Fame. I want to see them have success for these great fans in Philadelphia. But when they ain't doing it, when they ain't getting it right, when they're misstepping, it's my job as an analyst to tell the people, tell the fans, give a media report, a journalistic report of what I see mm. based upon my experience in the game. And that's what I do. That's the only way I know how to do it. All right, so last question. Are you going to be talking about a 1-3 Eagles team on Friday, or is uh, this when they start writing the ship? You know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm kind of oscillating right now in yeah. my opinion about who I think is going to win this game tonight because it's really a must-win for the Eagles. Um, they are a little um, undermatched, I would say, because they're completely out of sync. I'm not so worried about Aaron Rodgers and the offense because of you know because of their slow start. They're still trying to figure it out. But what scares me to death is Mike Pettin's defense. That defense is just looking phenomenal. Yeah, and they do. You know, he's a he's a Rex Ryan disciple. You know, he loves pressure. You know, they get up and they mug the offensive line. They sugar from you know all angles, and you know they screw with your protection. You know, and if we don't, if we don't, if, if we're not going to figure out a way to protect Carson, if we're not going to come out and and, and realize we got to run the ball to control the line of scrimmage first to get them out of those sugar and mug situations then they're going to have problems tonight. They're going to have major problems. So if we come out, if we throw the ball more than 40 times tonight, we're going to lose this game tonight. That's just my opinion. You know, we've got to come out and be balanced, 30-something to 30-something, run the pass. We've got to control the line of scrimmage, get the, off, get the defense, you know, off, you know, out of balance, so to speak. Get them, to, you know, in th- second and third situations, you know, to realize, hey, the, 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 the run is a real, still a real threat, so we can't pin our ears back and come. We can't bring all these exotic blisses. They've got to be able to control the line of scrimmage. If they don't, it's going to be a long night. Telling it like it is, Seth, I love it, man. I really look forward to following you after this game and all through the season. And I appreciate your time. Uh, I'll be down in Philly later. Hopefully, they will have a winning record uh, by midseason. Well, I hope. I'm, my hope for tonight is just that they can get back to two and two. Love it. Because one and three is, uh, is, is a much more taller mountain to climb, man. Okay, buddy. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Anytime. Take okay. care. Now. All right. I want to thank Seth Joyner. Mario, like that is tough guy football. You're too young to know what the NFL The NFL used to be a league of men, men like me. Now you have these little soft spread offenses. <laughs> Aren't you inspired to go out and hit somebody after hearing Seth just sort of lay it out like that? No, because I didn't. I picture. I looked at some of his pictures and some of you know the guys that were playing on that '91 or that '90s Eagles team. Those are big guys. They're huge. They're very intimidating. Yeah, Seth had that fade haircut too. Yep. I don't know. Like he he wasn't the most intimidating guy on that team. He was unbelievable. But they, you know, as I mentioned, they had these safe the safeties used to knock people out, including themselves. Unfortunately, they both had serious health problems. Mm-hmm. And Reggie White, obviously, you know about Reggie yeah, White, but you don't know about Jerome Brown. He was. No. He was headed to the Hall of Fame, too. He was a defensive tackle out of Miami who died in a car accident. He was unbelievable. I don't know if you're a non-Eagles fan. You might have found all of that pretty annoying. But I think a lot of fans do resonate with the fact that some of these calls are just ridiculous, that it's gone too far against the defense. Something that Dan Patrick has been saying for three years, you got to let the defense play at some point. I think I'm on board right now. Uh, I'm excited for everything that's happening week four. Two battles of undefeateds. You get that Bills-Patriots game. You get that Lions-Chiefs game. Going to be very interesting. Cowboys-Saints on Sunday night. It's a great week. I am so happy with this NFL season. I'm so happy with you, Mario. We, you? By the way, we, in between taping this, we played a pick-up hoops. How would you evaluate, evaluate your game? Um, I missed a couple gimmies under the rim. That just, I think that's just my game at this point. Yeah. I seem to just miss. I can grab the rebound. I just, sometimes it's hard to get it back up there. You were unstoppable. Yeah, I, I don't know won, what's happening You on this probably won 20 for 20. Yeah, I feel one? like I don't know what's I, I'm terrible in my Saturday run, but like here I'm like Pete Maravich. I don't know 
I just sort of mentally have the edge here. It's confidence. That's what you lack. You just line it up and you knock it down. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but uh, what could have been? Anyway, uh, we'll be back next week. Hope you enjoyed Against Against the Grain podcast. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe and tell your friends. Thanks a lot.